John chapter 14 to 15. Um, really blessed by that song uh, because we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit tonight, among other things. And the Holy Spirit, I, I did not remember until hearing the song. One of the things about the Holy Spirit is it's a, it's a seal of promise. It's like an engagement ring. And so I love that song, we're getting ready, we're getting ready. I see some people engaged here tonight, and uh, you know, others that have been recently engaged or are engaged or recently married, if you remember your engagement, um, that's all you're thinking about, is getting ready for the wedding. And uh, the Holy Spirit should do that in us. But John 13 to 17 are the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he's arrested uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane and then begin his trials and leading up to his crucifixion, three days in the grave, and then his resurrection. So these are essentially the last words of Jesus. And again, this is the part of the sentence I don't have down packed. In his human ministry before he's glorified, eh, you can throw that out, I'm not sure. But the last words of Jesus before he dies, before he goes to the cross. And that's important. It starts with chapter 13, Jesus washing their feet in the upper room, and it ends in John chapter 18, verse 1, where it says, let us go from here, and then they go to the garden at Gethsemane. He's comforting their concerns, emboldening them against their fears, and preparing them for what's going to happen next. And he addresses all these things. So... I've been sharing a little bit with uh, just friends and staff and my wife and kind of what is going on in these chapters. And there's some themes that carry through these chapters that I want you to think about as we're reading. Because sometimes we can get locked into um, just trucking through the verses. There there are themes in scripture that carry through, right? For example, the the Savior, the Messiah, right? Genesis chapter 3, your seed is going to crush his head, his heel will be bruised. That that started in Genesis and it goes all the way until Revelation when we see a lamb with the marks of slaughter take the seals, uh, take the scroll of the earth and unloose the seal. That is one continuous story from Genesis to Revelation. So here's some themes that we see. Uh, One of the themes we see is um, uh, abide, abide or abode. We're going to see that in the noun form and the verb form, and we'll get into that, abide or abode. Um, We see father 30 times, pater, father, 30 times in just John chapter 14 and 15. I hadn't noticed that before. That is a huge theme in John 14 and 15 is this theme, father, this word father. We're going to read about love and hate. And we're going to read about peace and joy, if we get through all of it. But it's all there in John 14 and 15, and even a little bit, kind of 13, 16, 17 as well. So let's start in John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Got it. Good. Let's move on. No, that's that's kind of, there's a little bit that's confusing there. What what do you mean? And and we see that the disciple interrupt him there, Thomas. Uh, But let's cover a little bit of that. Um, uh, That word, let not your heart be troubled, uh, to agitate, to trouble, cause inward commotion, Take away calmness of mind, disturb his equanimity, disquiet, make restless, to stir up, to perplex the mind by suggesting scruples or doubts. And there's a really interesting kind of Greek thing going on here. It says, let not your heart be troubled. This is something that happens to you, right? Um, There's, cool, I love biblical languages and they're really fun. You should get into biblical languages uh, but the, the the essence of the word the the action that's going on here is this is something happened to you and Jesus said don't let that happen to you stop that from happening to you so this is not something that we do this is not something that happens by accident this is something that's being done to you this is an assault on your soul this is an attack against your spirit the trouble of the world coming against you and Jesus said don't let that happen Let not your heart be troubled. Let not those forces outside of you trouble your heart or the flesh inside of you trouble your heart. Don't let that happen to you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Let not your heart be troubled. 
the natural state of the world is that our heart is troubled, right? Have you realized that? If you don't pray, if you don't read, if you try to cruise, it is not fun. It is stressful and you're on edge and you are sinning and you don't want accountability. Like that's the natural. That's what happens when we don't try. You need to resist uh, the troubling of your heart. And then verse uh, two, and this is where we start to see some of these theme words. In my father's house are many mansions. So uh, in my father's house, uh, that, that word house is uh, oikia or uh, oika. Uh, so if you, if you like Greek yogurt, right? It, it says home or house on there. That's, that's nice, right? Uh, so uh, I love that yogurt. Um, so house, right? So he says, in my father's house are many mansions. Now, don't think of MTV Cribs or Architectural Digest. That's not what he's referring to here. That's not going to be important in heaven. It really doesn't matter how well laid out the house is or what kind of marble they used or how uh, cool the television is. Uh, there's probably not television. Uh, it just means dwelling place, right? Other translations will say in my father's house are many dwelling places. So it's two different words. Uh, the dwelling place or the mansion is that uh, word uh, mene, the noun of abide. It's an abode, right? So it's a house versus a home, right? There are many homes. So in my father's house are many homes. And uh, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Again, we're going to see this uh, more and more. So again, that oikia, my father's house, speaks of a building, a structure where people live. Monet, not the impressionist painter, speaks of a home where people live and rest. So we're going to see that more and more. Verse 3, we read, and again, if you read it too quickly, you don't get the, the glory, the beauty of it. He's coming for us. He's not sending someone. He's coming himself to take us, to receive us. And we have proof for this in, in the scripture that I think even uh, when a believer dies, when a believer gets promoted, uh, we see Stephen, right? Uh, let me quote it here. Acts chapter 7, verse 56. Stephen said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, almost as if Jesus was receiving Stephen. Uh, I, I've heard it, it's almost like he stood up to receive him, um, and so we have evidence for this. We have a proof text there that whether it's at our death or at the rapture, Jesus himself is going to receive us. He's not sending someone to come and get us. He's doing it himself. Isn't that so loving? Isn't that so personal? I love that. I love that. And then Thomas interrupts, uh, like we said. You know, Jesus said, uh, where I go, you know, and the way you know. You guys, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. So peace, right? And he's actually going to say peace later. But that's not, he's not referring to this. Uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how can we know the way, right? Somebody spoke up. No, no, we don't. We don't know where you're going and I don't know how to get there. So just explain what you just said. And he does uh, in a very Jesus way. Jesus said, Verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And um, this is one of the first verses I memorized as a Christian. It's one of the, uh, the first verses I really studied in the original language. And like I said before, I encourage you, all of you, to use uh, the Bible study tools that are at your disposal. There's so much. Uh, I love blueletterbible.org. There's tons of commentaries and there's free lessons. There's all kinds of stuff. You should get good at studying the Bible. This is what our life is about. Learn and grow and, and uh, use those tools. So one of the cool things here uh, with this verse is when he says, I am, I am, I am, it's ego me or ego am I. And it's translated to one word in English, I, but Jesus is being emphatic, right? That's why he says I twice in Greek, I, I, right? He's not like a pirate or whatever. He's, he's being emphatic. I, even I, I alone am the way. I alone am the truth. I, even I, am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's, he's really driving this point home. The Holy Spirit through the writer is really driving this point home. I alone am. And then we continue to read. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. I, I don't know. I, I guess after three years of Jesus, you kind of have confianza. 
All right, show us the Father then. We'll, we'll be fine. We'll believe everything, you know. That's, that's a huge ask, right? Like, I want, that's, okay. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. You remember when Jesus first started his ministry, he would heal people and tell them, shh, don't tell anyone. You know, people would re- realize he was the Messiah and he would say, stop, just, just go over there. Go tell your friends, don't, I'm going over there. You go over here. Let's go to another city, guys. People are finding out what's going on. He's done with that. Secret's out. And uh, he, he says, again, in a wonderful way that God had recorded in the scriptures for us, but basically he's saying, I am the Father. You want to see the Father, I'm right here. Jesus is asserting his divinity. He's confirming everything he said. He is God. That is huge. If you remember, I think it's John chapter 8. I, I, I'm not sure. At some point, he was, our, Jesus wasn't arguing. Everybody else was arguing. Jesus was teaching and establishing truth, and people were arguing with him. And, and they're going down this road of Abraham and the fathers, and we're sons of Abraham, and how can you say, and why would you question? And then he finally says, before Abraham was, I am. Mic drop. Actually, it was stone drops. They picked up stones to, th- to throw at him, to kill him. And in their mind, rightfully so. This was a person that they thought was merely a human being saying he was God. Before Abraham was, I am. He is invoking the name of God. He is claiming the name of God for himself. He's saying, I am God. And so in their mind, not knowing who Jesus was, not truly being converted, not truly believing, they took up stones to stone him for blasphemy. But he says again, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it is not blasphemy because he is God, because he is true, because Jesus is not lying here. And that's going to get more and more important, and we're going to see as, as it goes on, because he's going to make more promises that are built off of who he is here in these chapters. Uh, he'll say later in John chapter 17, verse 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are. So again, especially in this section, John chapter 13 to 18, verse 1, Jesus is driving the point home. I am God. You guys better get this because in a few hours, I'm gone and everything's going to change. So he is driving this point home. We continue reading. Verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, again, if you know the Bible, you've probably read this many times before, you've probably heard this many times before. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, um, you might be reading and, and you might be just totally enamored with Jesus and totally blown away by Jesus and now you're hearing this verse for the first time. You're gonna do greater works and you're like, what, what does that mean? That's not supposed to happen. He's like, Jesus, I don't know, is that allowed? He, he, it's, it's a little bit nuanced, right? So you look at Acts uh, and uh, Peter preached and it was two or 3,000 got saved at one time and you see the miracles that were done in Acts. Paul was a very special miracle. They would send pieces of his clothing and people would be healed and all this kind of incredible stuff and not only that, but you see the scope, right? Jesus, during his earthly ministry, was took on human form and could only minister in one place at one time in the Galilee and kind of those regions. And then he sent 12 and 140-something, and it grew. But there was only so much he could do in his human ministry in his three years, in his incarnate form before he was resurrected and, and, and all that. And now we carry on the work of Jesus. There is probably over 100 of us here. I'm not good with numbers. Adrian could probably tell just by looking at the empty chairs. There's 100 or 200 of us here. Uh, We get to carry on the work of Christ. And so it's not just one Jesus now. It's several people with the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we're going to get to in a minute. I'm trying to get to. I'm really excited for that part. Um, So that's what it means by greater works. And then 
Uh, verse 13 uh, and 14, Jesus is not giving us a blank check. Whatever you ask, uh, notice, it does not say, this is being recorded, it, this does not say, whatever you ask, I'll do it, and ask anything, and I'll do it. There's a bunch of qualifiers there. He is not giving us a blank check. Uh, he, he, Jesus is so faithful and so clear. It is not a blank check. It says, uh, he says what he means there, and he's going to elaborate on it, and, and we'll talk more about it when we get to 15, and he repeats that same kind of idea. Here the qualification is in my name. We continue reading verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Okay, this is where it's gonna, this is where it gets fun. This is one of the parts I was really excited about. Another helper, but let's keep reading. Let's, let's read this section. That he may abide with you forever, verse 17. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. For the most part, we like formulas, right? Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Anybody like that here? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I just want to know what to do to get what I want, to be happy. Just give me the formula and I'll do that. Okay. This is basically the formula. This is basically the formula. This is God's model. If you love me, it starts with love. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Jesus quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. What is the greatest commandment? That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, Jesus said it very clearly. The greatest commandment is these two things. It starts with love. Do you love the Lord? Do you love God? And again, we like to, that's kind of like, what does that mean? Right? He's going to tell us what it means. It's linked to obedience. We're going to get to that in a second. But a, a good way to think about it is comparatively. Right? Do you love God more than your hobby? Do you love God more than fill in the blank? And we have some really challenging scriptures. Like to lo- we have some really challenging scriptures, right? To love God more than our children, more than our family, more than our spouse, more than our parents. To love God more than ourselves. So you can start to compare and ask yourself honest questions. Do I love God more than... Uh, these other things in my life. And then uh, he goes on, keep my commandments. In other translations, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right here it said, keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience on a human level, we have so many examples of this. You want to make your parents happy? Show them that you love them? Just do what they say. Then we move forward in life, hopefully get married, have children. Now you want to please your spouse. You want to know what she has to say which might be different from what your parents have to say, and that's a tricky one, so let's move on. Even in friendships, it's terrible when someone claims to care for you and be your friend, but never wants to do what you want to do and is always rejecting your suggestions and doesn't care what you have to say. They're not willing to compromise or do what you want or, or acquiesce to your request or whatever. That's not very loving. That's not a good friend, I think, you know? So we, know, we get this on a human level, right? Obedience, I'll go along with what you want. Sure, I love you, I... Yeah, I, you know, the classic one, I'll go shopping with you, honey, and means I sit in the corner for a couple hours, you know. Um, for, for most of us, that's kind of the paradigm. The lady likes to shop, and I, I like on, online shopping, and that's, uh, you can pray for me. But, um, but yeah. And, and so it starts with love. It's with obedience. It's followed by obedience. But then step three of this model is Jesus' answer. And then I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. So the model of, like, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Okay, cool. Love me, keep my commandments, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And, and you might be thinking, that's not part of the model, though. Like, that's, that's not my part. Why didn't you end that love me and keep my commandments? Well, the Bible talks about quenching the Holy Spirit grieving the Holy Spirit. So if he's trying to send the Holy Spirit and we're quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit and pushing against the work of the Holy Spirit and pushing the Holy Spirit away, we're not getting the whole model. We're not getting the whole promise here. We're gonna be trying to love and trying to obey as best we can but have no fellowship, no power, no intimacy, no presence of God because we're pushing against the Holy Spirit. And so we're not gonna get that simple um, model that's, Listed, that's, that's outlined here and in other places in scripture. We invite the Holy Spirit into our lives and give him room to work in and through us when we love God and obey him. Love from God, love for God, our obedience meets his supernatural power. 
equals your purpose, God's will, the good life. That's the model. Jesus gave it to us clearly. So we get more into and talk more about the Holy Spirit. Um, Alos, parakletos, another helper. Uh, that, that another means another of the same kind. So Jesus already is starting to give us hints here who the Holy Spirit is. Another of the same kind. Another helper of the same kind. This word parakletos or paraclete, we kind of in English size? That's not a word. We kind of have a word in English. Paraclete, the parakletos. Uh, it appears five times in the Bible, four times right here in John 14 and 15, and the last one I'm going to tell you later. Stick around. So four times here, and uh, it talks about the helper, the comforter. It's translated as well. And um, to kind of take a step back here, Remember the historical context, right? Remember the intro to this section. These are the last words of Jesus before he's going to be arrested. And again, as much as possible, if you can remember this throughout the few minutes we have left together. Not like, I don't know if, if you struggle with this sometimes. The, it, you just read the words, right? And then he the garden and then the thing and then Peter cut his ear and then it's I'm trying to really finish this chapter today. Does that ever happen to you? Please, someone else. Okay, thank God. Okay, cool. Um, that was, it was not that fast. Like they were praying and then they were fell asleep and then they probably felt kind of guilty and they're like, oh man, we can't stay awake. Okay. And then he's like, they're here. And you're like, what? I'm still waking up. Who's here? Uh, they're here, and there's people with torches and swords, and they're upset, and they're on a mission, and they came for someone, and they're not leaving without him. And that's, that's what it was. And then Peter's like, no way, and then he cuts the dude's ear, and then Jesus like, stop, and Peter's like, what? And it's just really confusing for everyone. And then Peter promised things, didn't keep his promise, he runs away. So it was a whole thing. Right? It wasn't a few pages. It was like a gnarly couple of days. And uh, so remember that Jesus knows the cross is hours away, and he chooses now. Right, Only five times in the Bible this word parakletos, paraclete, helper, comforter is used. He chooses now to use it. Now. To teach them about the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. You see why that's important? He's about to leave. They need a helper. Okay, we're going to get more into that. If you've been any uh, amount of time in church under good teaching, you've probably heard this many times. If you get your theology of the Holy Spirit from movies, the internet, or any other unbiblical source, this is especially important for you. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus always uses the masculine pronoun, he. The Holy Spirit is not a force or a power that we summon like some kind of superhero. I don't want to give free publicity, so I'm not going to say the name, but you like yell a name, and you change into a different person, like a kid into an adult with superpowers. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm not going to say the name. Don't say it. Uh, But it's not like that. It's not like Holy Spirit. Now I'm Holy Spirit, Christian. It's not like that. It's not a superpower. He's not a force. You're not his boss. He is a person. Okay, and, and it's awesome. It's not, I'm not about to like come down on you and like be really mean. It's great. This is great. Um, so that should make a huge difference. I'm just going to read this as I wrote it, and I love my friends. In our interaction and personal experience with the Holy Spirit, it's hard to describe, but I tried talking with someone in preparation for this teaching. I couldn't communicate my thoughts quite right, and they said, I know there has been times when I haven't been thinking about the Holy Spirit, and then at the last moment, I realized I need it. And I said, ha, ha, you said it. <laughs> and uh, they felt very bad, and I said, no, thank you. That was really helpful, because again, it's, it's, it, it talks about our experience and our thought process about the Holy Spirit. We know the teaching. They, go, they went like this. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you're right, got me, you know, and, and that's the thing. We, we forget. That's all we forget. We forget that he is a person, that he is with us. Jesus is here right now. He's sitting with us. He, he, he is. That's the teaching. He's here sitting with us. I was talking to someone else and, uh, who I love very much, and they said, you know, it's so much better when there's another adult around, when I'm taking care of kids and when I'm with kids, and you probably know who it is, and I'm sorry I didn't tell her I was going to say this ahead of time. But she said, man, it is so, it makes such a difference if I remember that I do have someone here with me and the kids. 
I actually have someone here with us. And so it's, it's an amazing thing. If we were to remember the Holy Spirit as a person, the person of God, the presence of Jesus with us as he promised, that would totally change how we interact with him. If you had a need and there was this person that was committed to being with you and helping you everywhere you went, you wouldn't assume or demand things, right? If you think of the Holy Spirit as a person with you, you wouldn't be like, Holy Spirit, power, boom, let's go. That's, that's rude and weird. Like you don't treat people, you don't treat the being a person that way, you would say, hey, I really need this thing. You, oh, thank you. Got it. Boom. Hey, do, should we do this? What do you think? You want, I go first? Okay. Boom. Oh, you're leading. Okay. Boom. I don't know what we're doing. You show me. Here we go. You, you would interact with this person. You would ask and wait for a response. You would ask for help. You would ask for a specific thing. You know what? I think I need, I don't know, like a word of knowledge. I think I'm going to pray for that. Can I have that, please? And then they give, he gives it to you if he wants he is a person and he's with you and you can ask him things and you can pray to him and you can follow his leading or you can start to walk and be like, is this the right way? Is it? No? Okay. No, Holy Spirit's not going that way. And you can, you interact with this Holy Spirit, with this Jesus, with this presence of God with us. And it should totally change the way we interact with the Holy Spirit, remembering that he is a person. So I said there was five and I said I would tell you where the fifth one was. Five times this word parakletos is used. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here it's translated advocate instead of comforter or helper. Again, if you didn't get it already, the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the parakletos in heaven. Holy Spirit is the parakletos on earth. It is one God. They are one God. He is one God. It is one in the same. It is an awesome thing. And then uh, verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Another word that uh, comes up a lot is father. Uh, I think I mentioned it already that it comes up 30 times in these couple chapters. And um, other translations in verse 18 say comfortless. Um, it's kind of interesting because we get our word orphan from this Greek word orphanos. So they didn't invent a word for a kid without parents. Orphanos was a state of being, someone who's hopeless, helpless, uh, without care, without protection. And then we said, oh, look, kids without parents are like this. We'll call them orphans. Um, so this is a state of being, one who is helpless, w- without care, without protection. And... Um, you know, again, I thought of so much of the work that God is doing in, in Uganda. Um, seven, eight kids? Seven, S- uh, seven, seven, eight kids that, that uh, uh, Billy's personally cared for and taken guardianship of and, and uh, just incredible, caring for 500 kids at the school. I, I thought of this, of them, and, and uh, even um, of uh, my own little boy. Um, so... You know, the reason this is important, the reason Jesus interjects this here is because he's leaving. In case you forgot, he's leaving. In a few hours, he's leaving. A good father doesn't leave his kid to fend for themselves. He provides protection and comfort and a presence. He provides someone in his stead to take care of them. That's what a good father does. And so Jesus, being one with the Father, being the same, being God, he stops and he says, I'm not going to leave you helpless, comfortless. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I will come to you. And then again, you're thinking, oh, come to you. He's talking about the ascension, resurrection. No, he's still talking about the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. They are one. He is God. I will come to you, the helper that I just promised to send to you, my presence, God, me, with you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We continue, verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and You in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. We'll pause right there. Again, verse 24 
Oh, we haven't read verse 24 yet. Let's keep going. Verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Again, verse 23, love and obedience. He who loves me, he will keep my word. And then again, that word, that theme of Monet, dwelling place, home, it comes up here again. We will come to him and make our home with him. So this is really awesome. I love, I love this part. I love this thing that Jesus did here. He, Jesus is great. So he says, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. There are many homes. And then he says here, we will, come in, in, we will come to him and make our home with him. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is I, uh, in, my, in my father's house, there are many homes. There's a home prepared for you. There's a place prepared for you. But until you move in, I'm going to make my home with you. That's awesome. That's amazing. Like it, 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 there's a house waiting for us when this life is over and the struggles and the terrible things. We have a place, a home reserved for us in heaven. Uh, no, no mortgage issue. No uh, putting the taxes up with uh, none of that. It's done, bought, paid for, reserved. Nobody's going to move their fence an inch or two onto your line. None of that. None of that. But until you move in, he wants to make his home in you. That is in, that's ridiculous. If it didn't say it in the Bible, I would think you were making that up. But it does say it in the Bible. So, you know, make yourself a nice house uh, for the Lord. That's, that's, that's not theologically correct. Sorry. Um, uh, he's making us a nice house. But, but hopefully that, that strikes a, a, a home with you, strikes a chord in your heart. Uh, in verses, uh, we continue, these things, verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, again, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Pause. All this time we've been talking about the Holy Spirit is God himself. We can't think of him as any less. Jesus said another of the same kind. But here he draws a distinction, a pretty bold distinction me being present with you, but the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send. He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance. He, he draws a distinction here. And, and this is why I think Jesus does this at this point in the teaching, in the message, in the last few hours he has with his disciples. Theologically, there are ways of explaining the differences in the personhood and the ministry of the parts of the Trinity, right? Okay, that's the answer. Great, some theology thing. Yeah, but there's more to it. Practically, I think the takeaway is that the Holy Spirit isn't going to do things exactly the way Jesus did. We live in 2022 in Miami, Florida. It's probably going to look a little bit different than an itinerant rabbi with 12 dudes sleeping in tents for three years. Like it already looks different because a bunch of you are saved and you're not doing that. So I think that's the takeaway here. That, that, that's the distinction to let the Holy Spirit do the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do. I, I love those WWJD bracelets. I have some myself, but I think it's not exactly the right question. It's not what would Jesus do. It's what would the Holy Spirit have me to do right now, I think is the right question. And it's not that God's word is up for interpretation and now it's whatever I feel because 2022 relevance. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Holy Spirit wants to do new things in your life, in your situation, in your sphere of influence, through your personality, uh, at your place of work, in a unique way. I, um, I, I mean, Jesus would do it. He's Jesus. But I never imagined uh, being, um, I've never imagined some of the funerals that I've done. Let's just put it that way. I, I um, long story short, uh, we had, they actually came to a prayer meeting. Two sons, their dad had passed away. They were broken, broken, broken. He passed away suddenly. They found a flyer for the church in this Bible. They came. We didn't know where else to go. We don't know what to do. What, who do we call? We don't know how to deal with this. So we helped them, ministered to them through that process. Long story short, we get to the burial. 
on the way there, funeral viewing, I go, hmm, there's some interesting things going on here, okay. It turns out there was probably a good gang presence in the family, and they were just flying their colors. I was like, okay, here we go. And uh, they had some traditions that I couldn't participate in. And uh, we finished and said amen and hung around a few minutes and then said my farewells. Uh, but if I was caught up in, well, with Jesus and on and on, how did he do this and that? And it has to be exactly because it, I might not have been available to the Holy Spirit to do a gang funeral that I didn't plan on doing. So let the Lord elaborate on that to you again. What I am not saying is that God's word is up for interpretation or that it's adaptable and fluid. That's not what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit will work in unique ways through your life. We continue there. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, we read that he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Again, that same exhortation. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Back in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives you, do I give you. This is probably cliche, but it's also probably true. If the world didn't give it to you, the world can't take it away. If the world didn't give you your peace, the world should not be able to take it away. Peace for the world just means cessation of hostility. Nobody's fighting. It's peace. That is not what, <laughs> that is not what Jesus means by peace. Jesus means a deep contentment and peace and stillness in the middle of whatever storm, if you were here on Sunday, right? Uh, that's the peace that Jesus gives. And so just ask yourself tough questions, right? Ask yourself honest questions. If I'm constantly being tossed to and fro and first I'm, I'm have peace and now I don't have peace and I would just have peace if they weren't here, you probably don't have God's peace or as much as of God's peace as he wants you to have. It's, it's probably like a little piece of peace. Uh, but he wants to fill you with peace. And uh, that peace is, is not moved. And uh, we have our ups and downs. We have our tough days. But there should be a current, an undercurrent of peace. Because God gave it to us. And so it can't be taken away. Verse 29. Now I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Now we get into John chapter 15, and we're probably only going to cover a few verses. But let's start there. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Now, again, if you've been around church, you know the scripture, you've heard teaching on the scripture, I love the scripture, so you're going to hear it again. John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Jesus here is drawing a distinction between himself and anything else claiming to give life. I am the true vine. I am the true source of life. Again, like he said in John chapter 14, there is only one. Everything else outside of Jesus is death. There's no other life-giving source. There's no other life. There's no other source of, of true power and true peace. It is only in Jesus. He is the one true vine. The one true vine. The interesting thing is that he's also making clear God's plan for humanity, that God, uh, this metaphor that God has been using throughout the Hebrew Bible, through the Old Testament, it is, it's really sweet. Um, in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, it speaks of Israel as God's vineyard and it bringing forth wild grapes. Listen to verse 7 from Isaiah chapter 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. And then we read Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read a big chunk of Isaiah chapter 11 because I love Isaiah chapter 11, and because it's relevant to the text. <laughs> there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, 
and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11, verse three. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow shall bear And the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all the holy mountain, uh, in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters covers the sea. And again, we see, excuse me, and then in verse 10, again, we see, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Israel is God's vineyard and Jesus is God's vine that came from the vineyard of Israel. He is the true vine out of the vineyard of Israel. He is the outgrowing and the budding forth of the work of God through the nation of Israel. God had been telling this to us throughout the scriptures and Jesus is repeating it here again. All of his good Hebrew disciples would have known exactly what he was saying. You are God's vineyard. The nation of Israel is God's vineyard. And I am the vine. I am the fulfillment of the work. I am the fulfillment of the promise. I am the Messiah. They would have known that. It's an incredible, incredible statement here that Jesus makes. And then another thing, we we think of a vineyard and we often think of a European style vineyard where vines are grown along trellises high off the ground. And there are some of those in the land of Israel. But in the Eskol Valley, just south of modern day Jerusalem, grapes are often grown on the ground. And the description I'm about to give here refers to when Jesus says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And we'll pause there. He takes away um, let me finish reading the description. They're often grown on the ground. The husbandman knows, excuse me, the husbandman knows when they need to be picked up, washed, and placed on a rock so that the grapes don't rot. So this word takes away, uh, it's translated as well as uh, takes up. Um, it, again, when I try to explain this to people, if you think literally of the word take away, it's not necessarily negative. Take away, take away. It's just like moving something, right? We think of take away as like a punishment. I'm going to take your toy away. That's not what Jesus is saying, right? Take away just means to take up. It's a very just literal take away. And that's what he's referring to, taking up, taking away the cluster of grapes, the, that branch from the ground so that it will not rot. So if you've ever read this and thought it was some sort of punishment, if I'm not bearing fruit, God's going to take me away. Oh man, I got to bear fruit. Come on, come on fruit because I'm going to get in trouble with Jesus. Not what it's saying. He says, if, you're, if you are abiding in me, if we're connected, if you're saved and you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you to bear fruit. I'm going to lift you up. And I love this picture. Again, they would have known walking through this valley, they would have known this picture of a vine dresser picking up a, a branch, washing it, cleaning it, sound familiar, and putting it on a rock. And that's what God does with us. He washes us and he puts us back on our foundation. Get back on Jesus. Let me wash you and get back on Jesus. That's what he does when we're not bearing fruit. And then it says he prunes every branch that bears more fruit. He prunes. You might think, oh man, you have like a really good metaphor. That's like a metaphor, right? Like he doesn't cut and prune, right? Because the other one was, no, this one is cut and prune. This one's cut. He cuts you and prunes you. And, and uh, let me read this definition I, I found from a gardening website. I thought it was pretty cool. Cutting off older, dead plant parts to promote new, healthier growth or direct growth toward a specific direction. That's what pruning is. There's stuff that's old and dead and unhealthy. He clips that off so you can bear more fruit or to grow you in a specific direction, right? If you prune a plant, I have no idea what I'm doing, landscapers, I'm sorry. If you prune a plant over here, right, and you want it to grow over here, uh, I know they do that in bonsai and they like cut and like use wires and stuff. That's the, that's the best 
I have experienced. Um, so he can prune you a certain way to get you to grow in a certain direction, right? If he wants to grow you in patience, right, one of the uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit, bearing fruit, he's going to start to maybe cut so you grow in patience. Why are all these people in my life so aggravating? Because you need to grow in patience because God is pruning you so that you might bear fruit to patience, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, uh, verse 3, how does he clean us? His word, that's how he cleans it. Um, I'm going to read a couple more things here. Um, Let's continue to read. Let's just read through a couple more verses. Um, Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Listen how many times the word abide, 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 abide pops up here. He who abides in me, I'm going to count with my hands, abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Four times right there and then a fifth time. Uh, in verse 9, and then a sixth time in verse 10, and a seventh, it goes on, abide, abide, abide. Jesus says clearly that our Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. That's how we identify as a disciple. It's not a metaphor. It's not like, it's, it's, it, bear a lot of fruit. That's what Jesus says we should be doing. And again, if you're like me, you're going, ah, what? I really want to, but I don't know how, and I'm really bad at that. It's the method, right? It's the method that we disagree on. We think bear a lot of fruit. Okay, I'm just going to try really hard. I'm going to bear fruit today. Let's go. The method is if you want to bear a lot of fruit, then you need to abide and rest and make your home with and spend time with Jesus. Um, Again, I'm just going to read here just uh, stuff that I wrote. Uh, The entire speed and pace of America was different before the 1950s and 60s. Everything would close on Sundays. Sometimes these hours would even be regulated by so-called blue laws, some of which continued into the 80s. Sunday as the Lord's Day or a Sabbath day is a regulator or a governor on the rest of the week that one day uh, affects the other six days. And again, that's just a little history, just a little commentary. But here's the point. We can't stop anymore. There's too much to do. Seven days a week is not enough. 24 hours a day is not enough. If you give me two more hours, I would crush it. If I had one more day, oh, man. No, you wouldn't. You would just fill it with the same stuff you're filling your day with now. That's exactly what you do. That's exactly what I would do. You would not do any better with more hours. You would not do any better with more days. You would do worse. You would be so much more tired with an eight-day week. I am, I'm, it's bad. It would be very bad. it's counterintuitive. All of this is counterintuitive. God says, you should bear a lot of fruit. That's how you're going to be an awesome disciple. And we're like, okay, let's go work really hard to bear a lot of fruit. And Jesus said, you need to abide really hard to bear a lot of fruit. You need to sit, you need to pray, you need to receive, you need to read, you need to worship, and then we'll bear fruit. And you're like, no, 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 but but the fruit stuff, like, I got to bear fruit. We got to do stuff. You need to abide. You need to abide. I need to abide. You need to develop a prayer life, a devotional life, a Bible reading life, a worship life, a just sitting in quiet life. I'm, I'm, listen, I'm the first one. I, I'm not going to lie or be a hypocrite. You come here in the office some days. I have earbuds on. I have headphones on. I don't need earbuds in my head all the time. It's okay to be quiet and not have noise. Try it sometime. It's restful. We see this in scripture, uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, when Mar- uh, Martha was working, 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 and um, in verse 41, Jesus answered, said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken from her, which will not be taken away from her. She's chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. The much fruit is a product of much quality time with Jesus, and it's a lot of Time over a long time, right? So this, none of this stuff, worship team, you can start to come up. None of this stuff is going to happen overnight. None of this stuff is going to happen fast. Uh, God can do it. He can do a miracle, a supernatural miracle, but that's not normally how it works. You need a lot of time with Jesus over a long amount of time. A year, two years, three years, a decade, three decades. Ask any one of the men, women here that have been uh, walking with the Lord 10, 20, 30 years. They don't have this figured out yet. They, they are seeking to spend more time with the Lord. They are speaking to know, seeking 
to know the Lord more. So abide with Christ, abide with the Holy Spirit, let God minister to you in those times of quiet, with the word, in prayer. Um, again, remember, he's with you. He's sitting with you. You know, Jesus, remember, at the end of Matthew, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Jesus is not lying. He's with you. He, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, is with you everywhere and at all times. Um, um, you know, last thing before we pray, there's this old monk, long time ago, hundreds of years ago, and uh, he wrote about practicing the presence of God. And he couldn't be a monk, I don't know the whole story, but he said, I just want to live in the monastery, it's really cool, or whatever, and dark ages and all that. And um, he was the dishwasher, and he wrote some really profound thing that I should have probably wrote somewhere, that basically said, even when I'm washing dishes, I practice the presence of God. Even in the noise of the kitchen, I know the presence of God. And that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants for us, to know his Holy Spirit, to abide in him. So, again, there's a lot of practical stuff. Somebody here, there's godly people here that can tell you, you know, how they organize their devotional time. Uh, you know, sometimes to pray, I have to walk to pray, you know, pace back and forth. Um, I pray that the Lord just, just ministers to us and, and speaks to you. Um, Last thing, we're, we're going to worship. I'm going to pray. We're going to end in worship. And um, there's going to be a time for response. Uh, maybe you've been sitting here the whole time and you're thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. This is the first time I've ever heard about the Holy Spirit. Remember, there's a story in uh, Acts where they were baptized uh, in, in the way of John, in the baptism of John. They didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. And they found out about the Holy Spirit. They were saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized. They wanted the whole thing. Excuse me. Maybe that's you today. Uh, maybe you've never heard any of this. You want to respond. Yes, I want that. I want presence of God. I, I want to know God personally in every aspect of my life. Come up and respond. Uh, maybe you've been uh, sitting here today and God is convicting you of something. Now is the time for a response. Uh, maybe you want to commit to the Lord, make a new commitment to the Lord. Now is the time for a response. And I use that word specifically, response. If, if God is talking to you, don't ignore him. That is rude and unloving and unkind. Respond to him. You don't have to come up, but you can. But if God is speaking to you, respond to him now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for this time, God. Thank you for your abiding presence in our lives, your abiding presence uh, with each of us, for each of us personally, your promises, God. Thank you that you want us to bear much fruit, God. Things that we can see, people being saved, ministry happening, and things that are character-based, things that are the fruit of the Holy Spirit, things that change who we are, God. Thank you, thank you. You wanna see this in our lives, and thank you that you've told us how you will do this if we abide in the vine, if we abide with you. God, I pray those of us that need uh, you to take us up, to pick us up, that you do that here tonight, that we would respond and ask you to pick us up. God, those of us here tonight that need to be pruned would humble ourselves and ask to be pruned, ask to be shaped and cut and molded into the image of Christ. We pray all these things. God, and, and one last prayer, if anyone's hurting, if anyone needs the comforter, the helper, God, that, that work of your spirit tonight, may you meet them here who are hurting. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.